2: Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. Thanks for joining us on New Year's Day here in Cape Town. The TalkSport team have made their way, a two-hour flight from Johannesburg where England went down 1-0 in this four-match test series. Hope springs a turn, although good news from the England camp surrounding illness in and around the squad. And we should hope so because the TalkSport team are in the same hotel for the next two weeks. Uh, You can follow all the action starting from this, the following on Cricket Podcast on Talksport. Well, thanks for joining us here on the following on podcast. Uh, as I made mentioned, TalkSport made the uh, relatively short journey from Johannesburg to Cape Town earlier this afternoon. We've arrived and we're ready. Looking forward to the start of the New Year's uh, test at Newlands, one of the most iconic grounds in world cricket. Before then, though, we've got New Year's Eve celebrations to come. And, of course, we've got some exclusive player content for you as well. Ollie Pope, first up, uh, the uh, England number 6 who missed the First test match, um, looking a shoe in for a return after seeing off the uh, illness bug, which has swept through the England team. And he caught up with TalkSports' Guy Swindles. Watching from the sidelines, what did you make of, of the first
3: test? Um, I thought, thought it was a very hard-fought test. We put ourselves in some very good positions. We did a lot of things very well. Um, obviously, the South Africans played nicely too. I think that, that knock from Quinton... Um, you could say is probably ended up being the difference, but there's a lot of positives to take from that test into into Newlands next week, and obviously he, there isn't much time. These are back-to-back tests that includes a day when when you're flying. Will you have time to to spend enough time back in the nets? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we'll be training on the first and the second. I think the boys, they, we get pretty used to that, whether that be playing for your county, you sort of get used to that schedule of having a day off, train, train, play again. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely time to be in the nets again. Um, and I've luckily I got a few chances to have a hit during the back end of uh, this test match. So, yeah, I think we'll be ready to go. And I guess it's not that long ago since the Century and the warm-up match. So, so Nicky's still there. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, I feel like I'm hitting them as well as I can in that game and also in the nets as well. Um, so <clears throat> I know that if I do get my opportunity, then my game's in the right place and I've got the confidence behind me, then yeah, hopefully I'll be ready to go. Did you hear the South Africans bowl very well? Philander, Norkier, Rabada, that's quite an attack. Have you been studying them? yeah I mean, you could say that was potentially the only positive of not playing in the game was actually getting to have a look at their bowlers and how they what they try to do with the ball, sort of the paces they bowl but yeah they obviously they bowled very well it 's a very strong very strong attack, but um the boys some of the boys some of the innings the lads played showed some really good signs in sort of how to go about building an in innings. It was good to see the way sort of Dennis went in that first innings um And yeah, no, I've had a good look at them. And hopefully, yeah, if I do play, like I said, then I can take that into that game.
2: Well, just as well, his birthday nor Christmas Day are taking place uh, throughout the uh, second Test match. It'll be great to see him back in the side. News from the England camp surrounding Dominic Sibley, the opener, um, who went down with a lurgy uh, a couple of days ago. It looks like he has reported fines. So he will retain his place uh, for Newlands, uh, which may seem Johnny Burstow on the outer again. Uh, And what about Jimmy Anderson? and Stuart Brawl, will they both play or will England select a spinner, uh, giving Chris Silverwood, the coach, a huge decision. Uh, We will be in and around the England camp for the next couple of days. We'll be at Newlands on the 1st and 2nd, speaking to some of the players, South Africans as well. There's a a whole bunch of them being put up to to the media on the 1st of January. So I don't think there'll be too many... Uh, Heavy heads tomorrow. I think the uh, festivities on New Year's Eve will be kept to a minimum as England and South Africa lock horns again in just three days' time. Now, uh, for those of you who missed uh, our lunchtime offering on day two in uh, Centurion, a chance now to revisit Neil Manthorpe and Jarrah Kimber. And thanks to BT Sport, uh, Jared Kimmer sat down with Mike Proctor in a build-up to this Test match. Uh, the reason? Well, a new film out on BT banned the tour. It's 50 years since uh, widespread protests in the UK, Australia and New Zealand were heaping pressure on the governments of the day to stop playing professional sport, rugby and cricket, uh, against South Africa. Of course, with uh, the end of apartheid meant that the end of... Uh, the isolation for the uh, England or rather the South Africa cricket and rugby teams Uh, but it was a chance uh, to look back at the journey and also the part that sport played in bringing around such political changes here in South Africa
4: South Africa's recent World Cup win provided one of the greatest ever sporting moments certainly in South Africa's sporting history anyway with Sia Khaleesi the first black captain leading a team that was uh, very much representative of the whole country, albeit uh, still majority white there were were brilliant players from from every uh, corner of uh, the communities in South Africa sparking days of jubilant scenes in this country Um, obviously such a moment would have been absolutely inconceivable, totally impossible under apartheid And uh, as you may just have heard uh, Guy saying, a film premiering tonight on BT Sport uh, in the UK, Stop the Tour, charts one of the defining aspects of the country's journey to to that moment. And one defining aspect took place in 1968, of course, and surrounded the non-selection, then selection, of the South African-born but English-qualified all-rounder Basil D'Oliveira, after whom the trophy that this series is being played for is named. The former great South African all-rounder, Mike Proctor, about whom Jared and I will be talking in just a moment, is a contributor to the film, and uh, he picks up the story with Jared a couple of days ago.
1: In 1968-69, um, uh, England were due to tour South Africa, and the Basil D'Olivera affair loomed. Um, and that was when Basil Vera, who was a coloured from Cape Town, obviously couldn't play for South Africa because he was non-white. And a guy called uh, a friend of mine, John Arlett, a famous broadcaster, uh, was instrumental in getting him over to England to play in the Lancashire League. Uh, He then went from Lancashire League to play for Worcestershire County Cricket Club. And he played for England at 69, it was. He played in the fifth Test match against England at the Oval in an Ashes match, caught 158, took a vital wicket. And the Test uh, squad was due to be announced a week after this, this Test match had finished. And it was pretty obvious to everyone that Dolliveri would be included because he was in the main England party of 11 playing in the Test match, and now you've got a squad of 16. And because of the uh, the implications as far as South Africa is concerned and the, the apartheid era, um, and why it happened, I don't know, but he wasn't included in that touring party. And you can imagine, I mean, I remember, because I was was quite matey with Dolly, because we played county cricket, in Oakland. And um, I remember waiting to, to hear the news, and, and I was just absolutely glad that it, so he wasn't included. And, and then what happened was a guy called Tom Cartwright, uh, who was mainly a seam bowler, pulled out through injury, and then Bolivar was included back in the part, in, into the touring party, and I suppose it left the door open for the South Korean government to turn around and say, well, it wasn't a, a, a cricket team picked on cricketers, it was an anti-apartheid movement cricket team, which... You know, it was ridiculous to say that, but they they, they didn't accept the team. So, you know, we knew the writing was on the wall then. We weren't going to get back into Test cricket. And in 1970, we were due to tour. England were due to tour. South Africa were due to tour England. Um, And that, because of Peter Hayne and all the demonstrations and everything that was going on, uh, that tour was cancelled. And we realised from then... Well, having travelled a lot and seen what was going on, there's no ways we were going to get back into anything. I mean, the, the world was against South Africa.
0: Just to get back to Basil D'Oliveira, uh, how much did you know about him as a cricketer in South Africa at the time? You talk in the documentary that you'd heard the name, but, you know, it, it, I mean, cricketers talk, as we know, and he obviously was making a lot of hundreds, even if it was at a lower level. There must have been, you know, a bit of conversations before he moved to the UK about uh, how good he was as a cricketer.
1: Well, not really. Funnily enough, you know, his name was sort of mentioned, um, but but again, you know, we we played our first-class cricket, and they, the colours played their cricket in Cape Town. Um, his name appeared very briefly. We didn't know how good or how bad he was, or you know how really good he was. Um, he was obviously obviously a, a good player, but but again, we we, we didn't hear too much. You know, we, we were in South Africa at the time, and you know that, that kind of news, you know, it wasn't really. Great news for us African have it concern because, you know, um, they got their coloured guy from Cape Town and it, it wasn't sort of, when I say our, our level of cricket, how do we know? Because we never played against them.
0: As you got to see him play, and, and we know that, you know, um, uh, with Basil, he may have uh, fudged his age slightly. Um, and so by the time he was, you know, playing for England, he was probably uh, late 30s, early 40s. But, I mean, for, for, from you as a cricket expert who's, you know, been watching cricket for decades and was one of the best players um in the world at, in his time we can guess that D'Oliveira would have been an incredible player in his prime can't we?
1: Absolutely I mean he was he was rock solid you know and he had a great mind on, on him uh, he, he really was uh, a great executor of, of shots uh, he knew what shots to play to which ball and he was also a bit of an underrated team bowler you know he, he got vital wickets as well but obviously a top quality player and it was for me it was great to see him, him playing for England and, and, and doing so well
4: uh, Mike Proctor, brilliant, brilliant cricketer himself, only played uh, seven Test matches for South Africa. Jared, um, that was uh, only an insert or an excerpt from uh, a longer, much longer interview you did with uh, with the great Mike Proctor. Uh, before we go into talking about that, do you think it's worth explaining to listeners just why, actually, the nitty-gritty of why Basil D'Oliveira's selection for an England team to come to South Africa was such a big problem?
0: Yeah, well, I I suppose the the very basic thing, uh, you know, um, not everyone knows about apartheid as well. I mean, uh, obviously South Africans do, and people of a certain age do. But uh, our, our assistant producer uh, Sam Allard uh, wasn't aware of the term, and you know, I think it's it's so far removed from the South Africa we see now. Um, but you know, it was it was a government uh, uh, policy um, of segregation and uh, to oppress the majority rather than the minority, which which countries like Australia and um, New Zealand and um, America obviously did. With, with their with their local people and it was an incredible system and so as much as anything it was maybe so honest in that other countries were a, a little bit more uh, there was a bit more sleight of hand with what they did and you know it was uh, an incredible system of racism that completely changed the way that South Africa was run in other words um, he would not have been able to stay in the same hotels
4: as the as his England teammates. match um, the only non-white people that were allowed uh, to 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 be in white communities they lived in townships which were a minimum of two kilometers away from white uh, white towns and cities the only people that were allowed non-white people in who were 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 working in hotels and serving in bars and, and restaurants and that that sort of thing.
0: And the only non-white player I know who was ever offered a a, um, a chance to play with South Africa was Crom Hendricks, um, and he was offered the position as long as he admit he told everyone that he was going as the butler for the team, and that was only and that was on an away tour. He would never have been I don't think allowed to play for um, for South Africa at home. He was it was well, rumored to be quite a good scene bowler, but a bit like Basil Davira and, and and Mike talks about that quite honestly, and I, I find that an incredible that it was so segregated that even cricketers didn't talk about this guy. But they just didn't think of him as, as, as a potential um, uh, cricketer because... The, so there was no reason to, to chat about this, this other guy. And he was making... I mean, Basil D'Oliveira, we don't even have the correct stats, but we know he was making... 10 centuries a year in, in, in non-white cricket um, and completely dominating it. And for him to make test cricket, I, I would say my guess is he was 39 when he made it to test cricket. And I think I, I might be being slightly... I thought he was 38. Yeah, well, we don't know, do we? He was roughly around 38, 39 when he made his debut. And he I think in his first 10 tests he averaged 50. And and he made the comment years later, "Oh, you should have seen me when I was young and I was good.
4: He came from a uh, 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 a coloured cricket club in Cape Town called St Augustine's, um, which it was uh, produced a series of incredibly talented uh, cricketers. And um, you know what is really interesting and again we, we, we haven't had have the time to go into great depth on so many of the different points but he really divided opinion and still does to this day because there were many of his, his colleagues, his fellow club cricketers, his fellow coloured cricketers who felt that he was a sellout, that he should never have gone to England. He emigrated in 1960 they felt that he should have stayed and fought the fight.
0: Can can I ask you a question, you've said coloured and that obviously means a vastly different thing in in England and Australia and New Zealand than it does in South Africa. When you say he's a coloured cricketer, what specifically do you mean? Cape Malay, the coloured community in Cape Town, originally they were indentured slaves who came over, were brought over
4: to South Africa to uh, to work the vineyards, um, and they th- they are, that's, you know, it's like saying Indian, in South Africa it's like saying Indian or, or black or Zulu or Xhosa, um, so coloured is a particular um, community of people. It, it doesn't refer to mixed race or anything of that, that nature, they, they are the
0: coloured Cape Malay. Well you, you, and you could see why you know I mean he was a leader in his community and he was a very I don't want to say apolitical, but uh, I, they talk about it in the documentary, actually, how he, he basically almost took advice of, if you, if you try and make this too political, the, the South African government will have even more of a field day with you. So he went the complete other way. And we, we've seen that before uh, with, the, with the great baseballers um, actually coming into, in, into baseball. Um, you know, there's obviously uh, Jackie Robinson and uh, coming through, but Satchel Paige is the one that always reminded me of Basil D'Oliveira because, again, Satchel Paige basically lied about his um, age as much as possible. And probably didn't make his debut in the major leagues till he was over forty, um, and and he had to do that to stretch it out. And it's a sel- In some ways, it was quite a selfish thing to, to separate himself. But he knew that, that that he had to do that to, you know, to make that that leap because it was such a big leap. Um, I, mean, I mean, cricket's such an incredible game in that uh, you know quite early on. Uh, England had um, Indian players, obviously, playing for them. We have the West Indies. Even if the West Indies had white captains, they were obviously quite often a largely black team. And uh, that was one of the things I actually asked Mike about was, you know, did it never occur to you as a, as a young white cricket fan that it was weird that South Africa didn't play all the teams? Because I, I found that, ex- as a cricket fan, that would have been my first thing. Why are we not playing the West Indies? Why are we not playing India? Um, and, but, but, he, but he talked about it so much, this sort of brainwashing that it, it never occurred to, to the players, oh sorry, to the, the, the people of that generation, that it was even a big deal. It's now 50
4: years, and hence the, uh, the film on. Um that's being premier- premiered this evening. Um, it's 50 years since uh, the Stop the Tour protests. is an initiative which helped change the course of the whole apartheid movement worldwide. It was conceived and organised by Peter Hain, now Lord Peter Hain, of course, and successfully disrupted the Springbok rugby tour of uh, the Northern Hemisphere in 1969. A rugby tour, by the way, that lasted three months. They were, played their first game on the 5th of November and their last one on the 31st of January and there were protests at almost every single one of them. They they lost the first game to Oxford University, the Springboks the great Springbok team. They lost 6-3 in the opening game to Oxford University uh, It forced the cancellation and banning of South African sport, obviously internationally for decades, including the cricket side which is now known as the Proteas but was also then known as the Springboks hence uh, the change Anyway, uh, Mike Proctor, who we've heard from already, played seven tests. Matches for South Africa, uh, and also featured for the rest of the world. His career was probably cut short by another seventy, but um, uh, like all of his colleagues, uh, his his lack of an international career or an extended one is not something that uh, has left any lingering bitterness.
0: Through this period, you know, watching these boycotts in, in, well, starting in England, then in Australia and New Zealand, there must have been a feeling quite early on, even, even though you were more enlightened and you'd lived in England and you'd probably change your outlook a little bit. But there must have been a, a feeling at the start was, this is it. This is the end of my international career. Like You know, you, you're an athlete. You want to perform on the biggest stages you can and you must have realised that this was going to stop that.
1: Absolutely. After 1970, uh, you know, we we played in that rest of the World Series and Gary Sobers was captain. We played with lots of, lots of West Indians and Pakistani players and we had a an absolutely fantastic time. The camaraderie and team spirit in that team was, was absolutely amazing. And, and and I just, I realised the time, we, we were never going to get back into Test cricket. That's why, you know, I, I didn't feel that sad about it because it was right that we went back into in the international scene if we, if we were playing, playing in an apartheid country. And... Um, you know, There's no doubt that we, ha- we, we had to change. Big thanks to BT Sport
2: for uh, allowing us access to Mike Proctor, the uh, former South African all-rounder. And would have been the uh, all-time greats as well. But uh, fascinating to hear. And we'll be doing more of the same throughout the following on podcast. Uh, every single lunchtime there'll be a, a feature uh, which we will uh, broadcast on the podcast if uh, you were to miss it. That does bring us pretty much to the end of the show, though, today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we will be back, though. Uh, In 2020, this is the last following on podcast of 2019. Uh, Please uh, subscribe and review iTunes, Acast and Spotify. And for now, that's about it. Happy New Year to you all and see you next year. And thanks for listening.